Let's try it again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to episode number nine of Take Flight Podcast. Woo! We're here with myself, Olu, Shual, Daniel, and Pabilo. How's everyone doing? Happy Real good. Friday. Real good. Happy freaking Friday right now. Doing well. Good, good, good. So on this week's episode, we're going to continue the discussion and the topic from last week. But we're going to move on to properties and talk about property investments. Okay. And then we'll go on to our book recommendation, which is also going to be taken by Pebilo. So, Okay, so following up from last week when we talked about stocks. So now that we're moving on to properties, why don't we just start at the beginning? What is a property, property investment, and why should people even consider purchasing a property? Gosh, well, kick off. No, nah, you're P, I know you're the don on this issue. So you should get you should get talking. Well, well, <laughs> well, based based on what I saw on Instagram in Zurich, both of you are experts. Nah, P's, P's a master bunny hopper, but P you Who's, if if the viewers the viewers probably don't know what we're talking about, but there's a video circulating on Instagram of Pabilo Pro- and Shiwa. Doing price what were they doing? Price, price for whoever get, finds it and sends yeah, it. Yeah, whoever finds it and sends it. Otherwise, I might upload it. Nah. <laughs> well, you got these two guys bunny hopping. So, yeah, let's. Why don't we start with like what is property? So, the way I consider, and I think slightly different from what we talked about last week around stocks. So, property and a property investment is where you, you put a large or sum of money into purchasing a house. Um, this is seen as more of a long-term growth asset, which can gain value um, f- or provide returns based on two ways, either by growth of the asset, so increasing that um, price or so capital increase, or through sort of like rental gain. So um, if you were to rent out the property, it's then the money that you make minus any expenses or cost out that you need to sort of take into consideration. Yeah, and then for me, that makes um, property one of the most powerful asset classes to have because you can earn in two ways. And I think it's I think it's important to put it out there is it's the most common asset amongst the super wealthy and super rich. Uh, so it's definitely something that people should start to pay attention to if um, they haven't already, and um, start to think about it. Yeah, and I think just to add a very quick note as well, I think in terms of the the time range that you're looking for to get a return, um, real estate or property investing isn't really the type of investment where you're looking to make a return within one month or two months. I mean, unless you're flipping a property, which probably would take three to six months in terms of refurbishing it and doing everything up. But typically, it's like a medium to long-term play. So if you're looking to ensure that in 15, 20 years' time, you'll financially be um, comfortable and you can also pass on some wealth to your family, it's a great asset to invest in. Sure, you mentioned flip a property. For those who don't know what flipping a property is, what is that? Sorry, yeah, it just means um, it just means buying a property where you can see that you get the opportunity to buy it at lower than the market value. Um, and then if you were to do a quick assessment before buying the property or after buying it, you figure out that, let's just say, for example, you find a property on the market for 80000 80, Um Properties around that area may be selling for 110000 120000 but these are a much better condition. 
so you buy it for 80 you realize that you can only you only need to spend 10k doing it up and then after you do that it's actually back up to the 120 price range so then you'll just sell it on um, and then cash in on the additional profit that you make cool so i guess um and daniel you can why should if someone's starting like we'll try and keep this kind of general because there's I think there's going to be a few listeners sort of purchasing for investment and some purchasing for also you can it could be an investment but they're like their first time home or why and when should someone decide to purchase a property when so, you so guys maybe, first purchased a property what made you decide yeah, maybe to purchase maybe a property? to go back and give some context on um because we're all from the uk so we're all british nationals so understanding the uk economy and um, real estate makes sense overall but in particular, in the UK, it's very powerful because if you look at sort of supply and demand, right? And so I think the stats are that the country, we have a shortage of houses and house supply. And I think the country is building like 100,000 homes when actually to keep up with the population, it needs to do 270,000. Um, so just based on, and this is one of the reasons as to why the prices have, have increased over the years. I think there's a nice chart to show over the last 20, 30, 40 years. It's pretty much just been going up. Um, so for me, the, the why also starts on um, the context and the economy. And um, it's it's a powerful place to be in because of um, the island like like the UK. No, that's thanks, Pete. Um, so let, why don't we start at the beginning on how you start and go by the process of either buying a property um, for your own purposes or for an actual investment. So... How did you guys start when you purchased your first property? I think like in I think in terms of uh, like any investment, before you really start to invest, you really need to make sure you save up. I think we spoke in the last episode about the importance of saving up and some strategies to start accumulating some cash. But obviously, that's uh, the number one um, part that you need. And I think unlike shares, which we spoke about in the last episode, when it comes to property investment unless you're buying straight cash another important aspect is your credit rating as well mm. because 99 percent of the time you're going to be either going into mortgages or um refinancing or bridging loans etc so for all of these you need to have a good credit rating so i think what's you guys start, credit score saying huh i don't know i mean I'm never, <laughs> I've, I've, I've never been declined so it should be okay but maybe maybe <laughs> next week if i try to apply for a big boy mortgage they may say no but at the moment it's all right Okay, cool. No one wants to share their number, huh? I actually, I actually don't know. You should share yours, isn't it? So, nine, nine, nine. cool. If none of you guys are sharing, I'm not sharing as well. But no, for the listeners, it's good. There's so many sites there where you can go and get an assessment to see what is your credit score. Maybe on one episode, we'll all do it for each other and see and share our credit scores, you know? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, sorry, continue, sure. But yeah, so basically start start saving like we've mentioned um, and then, yeah, try to be wary of your credit rating. As Oli said, there's many sites online where you can check it for free um, and there's always tactics that you can build up your credit uh, credit score just through getting a, getting a credit card and using it appropriately, but you using it for transactions but then actually paying it off every month. Having direct debits up in your bank account, which you're paying continuously, it could be mobile phone bill, could be bills for your home. And all of these things, they do start to build up the credit rating. And then once you have a certain amount of salary, then you can try and estimate how much you can potentially take out. So that's the, the first step. And then after that, you're actually going into the... Yeah, one thing I will add to that is, especially for uh, people that are getting into property, that the hardest, for me, the hardest challenge 
was always saving up that first lump sum to buy mm. the first property. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there are many times when you say, oh, let me just spend it, man. It's, it's taking too long to get there. I need 10 or 15% and I'm buying houses in London. It costs so much. But what I will say is, is uh, for those people that are in that position, is um, that would be once you get over that hurdle and you, and you manage to get your first property, there's a process called refinancing, which allows you to pull equity out of a particular property if it goes up in value. Mm. And so that almost, you've almost only need to do the saving process once yeah. because once you, once the ball starts to roll, then you can just start to leverage your assets. So we can go into that a little bit later. Um, yeah, I think that's so ahead. true, um, Pete. It's, the first time is, is what they say. The first time is actually the hardest. Yes. Um, when it comes to that saving process. So when you said saving, how much roughly do you guys go when it comes to saving for so property? It, so it goes back to your first question on, on um, where to start and objectives. So I think for people, they need to, again, put the plan together and understand first um, area, location. Um, and it's all about, you have to ask yourself the question, why do you live in the area that you live in today? Mm. And if it's based on transportation links, you're close to uh, amenities, shops, where your workplace, you would need to find, if you're looking to rent out a property, mm. you would need to find the similar characteristics in similar areas, mm. uh, which can help determine a good, good area to invest in. Question P. So do you start with, because I think this is where we might be slightly different or we might think alike on this one, but do you start with looking at a location first or do you start, because my advice is first sort of going to the bank and seeing what your money can do before you start looking. Because sometimes you might want to look for a property or location and it costs yeah. 300K. But a yeah. bank is not even willing to give you 300K. So I, like when I went for mine, I first went to the bank and said, look, this is how much I earn. This is yeah, how yeah. much I have, etc. What is the maximum I can get? And then I start my sort of looking process, location, working within the parameters of what I can actually afford. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's probably the best. You probably need to know how much the bank's going to lend to you if you're going for a mortgage. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you can show the listeners what um, the bank is looking for when they lend. Like, I know this five times your salary and mm. is that it's, still the case? It's, it, it differs depending on the, each bank and mm. what your what are your references, the affordability calculator. Correct. So based on your income, your expenses, what is the maximum amount that the bank will lend you in order to fund your um, mm. to to give you a mortgage for and based on different bank or different um, lenders they may look at the last three months of your statement some scrutinize it and look exactly at what you're spending mm. so wow. maybe uh, your everyday costs how much your variable costs or how much your fixed costs are every month some will ask for your three month salary some ask for six months some ask for your outstanding loans that you may have any loans, any loans you may have, if you have existing mortgages, etc., any dependencies, so on and so forth. So they do scrutinize it somewhat heavily. And to be honest, you shouldn't be adverse to this, but you should understand what the lender wants. And if you're knowing, if you know you're going to apply for a mortgage in say June of this year, start tidying up now because mm. you don't want to be rejected for a mortgage application because you may have to, it affects your credit score adversely and mm. immensely. So you want to ensure that your credit score is in is good standing. So when Oli's asking at the beginning, oh, what's your credit score? It's good to have an understanding of what your credit score is because even opening up a bank account can affect your credit score for um, six months. Having missing a payment on a phone bill can affect your credit score for six months. So making sure you're on top of your finances and spending within your means. And even if it means just saving a bit more aggressively for six months, knowing that the lender's going to scrutinize it, do that. 
because you don't want to be rejected for a mortgage. Yeah. So after uh, after you've got that amount from the bank and knowing, okay, this is how much they're willing to lend you, start looking at properties that you may have had in mind for areas within that range. And there's also something called deed and principle. So some providers or some, if you're going to say a, um, a development or some uh, buyers like to know that you can actually afford it and not waste their time. So showing them a deed and principle to actually say, yeah, I can afford this property. But doing a deed in principle does a soft um, check on your credit score. So it does affect it a bit, but not too, too much. Yeah, I'll just uh, just add as well, I think, because we we, we've mentioned going to the bank, but also another way that you can check is you can either go to some other mortgage providers directly. There's some companies that specialize specifically in mortgages. Or if you want to make your life a little easier and you're willing to pay a fee, you can also engage with a mortgage broker um, as well, and as Daniel mentioned, you can do this before even looking anywhere. But this at least gives you a range of what what um, potential money you have to play with, and how much you can uh, purchase a property for. And I'll, I'll do a quick plug. It's unsponsored plug, unsponsored advertising. If you're looking for a mortgage broker or someone, London and Country offer a no fee um, advice, and they give you a broker from start to finish. And of course, it is commission based, but they let you know up front how much it would be that they get should you choose them. We didn't talk about plugs prior to the. Yeah, yeah, yeah how, much how, much they, how much are they paying you? Huh? Me. Ah, they didn't pay me. Daniel, we need to see six months of that bank statement to just yeah. make sure that you're not having <laughs> random funds come. <laughs> so, this is, this is certainly a great uh, step one. So, what would be our step two um, in terms of the process of property? But, but I think even you have to understand how you're going to buy it because. Many of our listeners may want to know more about the different help to buy schemes. Mm. So especially within London, you have um, the government created the help to buy schemes, which include the shared ownership, the equity loan, and also the help to buy ISA. And by the way, we're, no, we're by no means experts. This is just sharing our own personal advice, opinions, and experiences. Should you need more professional help, seek an IFA, independent financial advisor. Yeah. No, no, but no, would no. you recommend, Daniel spoke about the different uh, ways to finance the property. Would any of you guys recommend a help to buy scheme? It depends. If you're looking to get on a property ladder ASAP and take advantage of this, and you're planning your next your finances for you know a longer period of time, yeah, it could be something you can you could consider. So personally, I haven't. So I've never done. I didn't do a help to buy. Um, I I personally wasn't a fan of help to buy just because of the fact that yes, you put a lower percentage deposit percentage. So it's, I think it's normally five percent of the um, property value that you need to save but then what happens is the government owns a certain or borrows you and owns a certain po portion of your property i think it's like 20 percent of your property and then you have i believe five years to pay that off yeah otherwise you have to start paying no, interest no, and of course no but what i'm saying is it gets yeah, but, okay, you into a cycle because yeah. if you can't pay off that yeah, 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 equity yeah, yeah. loan I'm, I'm within five so, years okay yeah so if you don't the government will they'll give you that equity loan forty percent, but you don't start paying interest from after year five, mm. which of course you need to kind of you know from the from the face of it it looks very attractive, but really know your what your earning power will be in five years. Mm. Can you still uh, afford that? Case in London also rises, mm. so it means you have to pay off your equity loan before you can actually get any benefits from selling the house. Mm. Yeah, I, I, and I guess that's you don't have the flexibility. I personally think you're more tied in. And reliant on um, sort of the government with that, and this just additional cost that you have to take into consideration, especially if you sell the property 
or after five years when it comes to paying back that um, equity loan? Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. there are definitely advantages of it. For example, you put in a small deposit, but then the government will have also a big stake. Yeah, yeah. My rec- my recommendation, just as I listen to that, I would I would challenge people to um, challenge people to challenge themselves on saving in their personal finance mm. and try and perhaps do it in the more traditional way, which is look to get look to put fifteen or ten to fifteen percent down. Mm. Um, and there are many different creative ways within property you can actually raise and speed up your savings. So you can source properties for other investors, lease options, rent to rent, which we can get into at a later stage. But um, with, so, with the thing about this help to buy is, in essence, you're in, you're in a partnership with when you when you buy when you buy a property, you're only in the partnership with the bank, so you're on their terms. But in this instance, you're on terms with also another person, which is the government. So I don't know. It's just hmm. it's 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 an option, but I just think I just think. Um, I think what I find, because this, I'm also thinking the type of people that would go for it, help to buy may not, also, may not also be maybe so long-term thinking. So in five years' time, might get caught up on what they need to pay back. It's, it's yeah. a, but no, I, think I agree. Ultimately, sorry, just, not, just to close this one, yeah. is, this is a good thing about property, is they say, know your numbers, trust your numbers, right? Yeah. So don't trust anything else apart from the numbers. So if somebody is considering a help to buy scheme, Please, like, I would recommend breaking it down to the very decimal to understand uh, what it actually means and getting the right advice. Exactly. With the, with, with, with the help to buy, you see them a lot on newly built homes with London, outside London. But, Pab, you're thinking that one's bad. You haven't heard of shared ownership. Yeah. No, no let's... Because I guess... Yeah, yeah, I, I know about... Because <laughs> <laughs> there's... Let's, I guess let's, 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 let's not move on to the different... I think the way to think about it for the listeners, there's multiple ways you can get financing for property you can either go through the help to buy which we discussed there's also shared ownership which you can also research my favorite word or uh, phrase google no, it let's, let's, let's just at least just give a, a, a two sentence kind of overview on shared ownership and help to buy us uh, daniel, okay. daniel it sounds like it sounds like you're you're involved in a no, couple you can only you can only be involved in one no i'm sharing it because a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people have asked and they want some kind of advice. I'm not trying to say don't do it, but I'm saying at least know your options. So shared ownership is if you can't quite afi- um, afford a mortgage or 100% of a mortgage. So the ch- um, shared ownership offers you the chance to buy a share of your home, which is typically between 25 and 75% of the home's value. Mm. And you pay the rent on you pay rent on the remaining share. So it's kind of you're paying a mortgage and you're paying rent. And later on, you can decide to buy a bigger share when you can afford to. Mm-mm. And this only applies if you earn your household earns eighty thousand a year or less inside outside of London, and if your household earns ninety thousand ninety thousand pounds or less in London. Um, as you can see, many drawbacks. We won't go into it, but yeah, that's one. And also, lastly, the help to buy ISA, which I believe the deadline is November this year. And briefly, what the help to buy ISA is: the you can save money, and the government will give you money. So for every £200 you save, you receive a bonus from the government of £50. And the maximum you can receive is £3,000. So, for example, if you save save £200 a month, then you save, is it £12,000? You'll get um, £3,000 from the bank, or from the government, sorry. So that increases your amount to £15,000, which you can then use that money to go and to help to buy property. Yeah. But this isn't money you can use for anything else. It's tied to a property. No. Um, but if you want more information, feel free to go to helptobuy.gov.uk. Exactly. Yeah, if, you want, if you want more information, don't listen to Daniel. Daniel, you're scaring people away. Man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, so, uh, 
No, but there's, there are things that people will say, oh, yeah, you know, help to buy, help to buy. You can get on the property ladder real quick. Mm. But someone may not really understand that. You no, know, you need I to, you one, need to do your research. I'm put a one bed flat and, you know, someone along the line that is not a potential, is not a, is not my suitor right now, but I end up married. They've also done the same thing. You want to both now come together. You both got properties or a one bed flat. You're thinking, rah, I really screwed up. Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. I, I'll say, look, you need to do your research. So let's start, talk, let's, so let's start talking yeah. about specific ways that we can strategize or how to get. So if we if we were taking, let's just use an example. If we're trying to do a cash flow strategy, right? So every month we're trying to increase our cash inflow that's coming into our bank account. I think, Olu, you already mentioned um, buy to let. So that's that's already an option. So I don't know if anyone wants to explain buy to let for the listeners. Yeah, just or just a one liner, simple um, if you're purchasing a property with the intention of renting it out, you need to get a buy to let mortgage. The way you see it is you're a business owner, you're a small business owner and you're purchasing that property in order to rent it out. So obviously don't do it for your first property. If you're living there, you only do it if you're renting out the property. And I think as we mentioned, the way you'll make money or have some sort of income is either via capital growth or from rental yield. Yeah, and rental yield is just the money you rent out the property minus any cost. So your interest from your mortgage, the cost that it takes you to take out your mortgage and maybe any maintenance costs that you have to actually do on the property. All right, cool. So just, just I think just for the listeners also to understand the very high level um, process, I mean, it's, there's a lot of intricate steps within the process. But first, as you mentioned, is uh, it's good to know how much money you're playing with, either how much you've saved yourself or how much you can get. Hey, hey, I ain't playing with this money. This is big money. This is not. This is not a game. <laughs> this is not <laughs> monopoly. You know, numbers are numbers, numbers are numbers. At the end of the day, then once you have your finances in in play, then you need to figure out what's your strategy. So, are you looking for a? Are you looking to invest long term, trying to increase your capital? Or are you looking to increase your cash flows? Then, once you've got those decisions, I personally think the next step is to try and identify the right area. Mm. Um, so, it could be an area if you're living somewhere. It could be an area nearby in terms of having family or friends to manage it for you, or contacts to help manage it. Or there's areas in the UK where you can invest, and there's very very strong cash flow returns as well. What and do you guys you can... look? What do you guys? What are like? Maybe we quickly go around. What are the or the one thing that you look for when it comes to selecting a location or property? Is that for buying to live or is that for buying to let? I'll say buying to live. And let's do both: buying to live and buying to let. Buying to live would be you know. Do you see yourself living there? Uh, would you see yourself, for example, if you want to start, you're looking to start a family? In the short to medium term, can you see can you see yourself raising a family? You know, what is the surrounding areas like? Are there good schools, good mm. amenities, transport links? You know, family commute to work, etc. Opportunities. Mm. Those are all things I would consider. Yeah, yeah. Buying to let would for me um, transportation links close to sort of amenities. Uh, the demand, the demand in the areas, so other properties which are being let out, and they've been successful. So that's really what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think for me, actually, the first few properties I've bought, I've always bought it in areas that I'm actually personally familiar with. Mm. Um, but I think now, in terms of where I would like to invest in the future, um, yeah, public transport, close to schools, and areas where I know just from a number basis, it's returning a lot on my investment. So I get a lot, a lot yeah. of money back. And also, and also, just to add to that as well, is areas which potentially have future developments in the plans. So looking mm. at what council was planning to do, 
making a few phone calls and finding out, okay, they're looking to build a university or they're looking to build a hospital. So these are the things which are going to drive the demand up. Yeah, for sure. So after right. you found the property and you search for the location, what then is sort of the next step that you guys go through? All right, cool. So you find the area, then you find the, the properties and you book your viewings as many as you can. Hmm. Be efficient and try and book viewings for properties that on a number basis makes sense. Then once you find a property that you like, you make the offer. Then once the offer has been agreed, then you progress the deal. We can go into the technicalities a bit later. And then once the deal is in place, you can just manage your overall portfolio. If you get the property on your books, and then that's it from a, from a very high level basis. So let's dig in. Let's, I guess, let's dig into some of those areas because there's some areas, um, there's some aspects that the viewers and the listeners might not actually know. So, um, I guess you go and view the property. What are some of the stuff you need to look out for when you actually attend and view a property? Well, it, it all depends if we're looking at a new build off plan, yeah. a new build that's built. If you're looking at an existing building, if there's someone living there, um, many different <laughs> factors. Someone living there is funny. You might find a squatter boy. Stepping <laughs> um, so let's go, let's go with the scenario of it's a Victorian house. It's not a new build. Um, so I think what you're, you're definitely looking for is uh, any smells. So as soon as you enter the property, do you, is it smell a little bit funny? Um, damp is a big one. Damp uh, is a really big one, yeah. Damp is. Damp is a... mm. Are the floorboards, um, are the floorboards um, aligned? Sometimes you might find that the floorboards are quite uneven. Mm. So these are, and also the, so the biggest one, the biggest, biggest one is, is a crack. So the, the, the golden rule is if you can put a one pound coin in a crack that you see, it's probably... Uh, quite big and the property has suffered from subsidence. Subsidence is where the property is, the property is actually moved um, slightly. So these are probably damp smells, uh, cracks, um, and there's many more, but but these are things that you can actually see, I think, firsthand. And what should happen is, especially if you're taking money out from the bank, before they actually accept and provide you that fund, they normally get a surveyor to come and do an assessment of the property to just ensure that the money that you're they're borrowing to you um matches sort of the property that the value of the property that you're purchasing so sometimes yes obviously do your own checks but also look through the surveyor's um report because they will also highlight some of the stuff that um p's mentioned and they will also say what their estimated value for that property is but this part would only happen the survey would only happen when you've put in an offer Correct. So you you found the area you want to live in. You found the property. You've put in an offer. So you tell the seller what you're willing to pay and any conditions. Then you have an offer to exchange in four to twelve weeks. Rule no, accepted. Uh, rule number one. So I can give you a personal uh, story as well. Rule number one: When it comes to making an offer, bid your first bid should be extremely extremely low. If your first <laughs> bid, if your first bid has been offered, you've offered too too much. And so even if you're actually looking to buy it to live in yourself or actually buying it to let it out, it's really important that you can get a really big discount up front because effectively that's what your profit is on paper. So if you want to refinance, um, it gives you more comfortability with wanting to refinance because then you can actually look to, to take out that difference at a later stage. Um, yeah, so and you, you can bid, even if it's a new build, you can still bid. Don't be afraid because what they're advertising is just the price that they're, you know, the market price. But you can still bid on a new build. So don't take that final price or the listed price as the price they will sell it to you for. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's, I was going to add in terms of a personal story. So 
Um, I've learned through experience to, to bid extremely low, and you'll be surprised at what uh, the vendor to person that's selling is willing to accept. A lot of the times they actually put a guide price or the price that you see there is not is nowhere near the price that I know I'm going to perhaps purchase it for. My very first property, because I was super excited just to um, get one and I wanted to get one before the age of 25, um, I was I was I had lost a few deals based on cash buyers. So when I, when I finally had an opportunity to get one, I gave them exactly the asking price. And so, um, the only thing is the only thing. The only I, I, thing I, I thought he was going to say I gave them more than the asking price. You know, I, I said. <laughs> So it's, I mean, the fact that it, the fact that the properties in London helps because the capital appreciation has has been on my on my side, um, but it me, it meant that from day one I was not in any profit, right on paper. So you definitely want to um, sort of maybe sort of develop some negotiation tactics and go in low, very very low. That sounds like a song. Go down low. Go down low. <laughs> go down low. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. <laughs> okay, so after you put in the um, offer, um, I guess, what is the true cost? Because there's different elements that you need to get, like your solicitor involved. But what is actually the true cost of purchasing a property? Yeah, so, so, so the first one, I'll just give you the first one, is the deposit for the property. So if you're, if it's 10, 15, 20%, that's mm. the first big chunk. Then what would you say the second I know, uh, but I was going to say, once you put an offer and if it's accepted, yeah. you have to pay that deposit because it's now legally binding. Yeah. And you can't get it back without any major cost. So mm. if you're putting an offer, know that it's something you want. Make sure you've done all the background checks, even if it's in an area. Make sure you know about the neighbours, what they do. You don't want to be buying in an area because, of course, every seller wants to sell that property. Yeah. So make sure you do all the background checks. Um, <clears throat> do all the background checks. Uh, you can't get your deposit back. And then it's usually four weeks before completion, which is when you hand the rest of the cash over to get the keys and the deeds and then the property mm -hmm. be legally yours. But through all this process, you'll need a solicitor, yeah. someone to hand all the legal sides of it from that the valuation to the survey, um, surveying on all of the small minor details, because really and truly. This is a big, big task. It's not something you can do by yourself or if you can, it will take up a lot of your time and it will give you a lot of stress. So, you know, don't try and be Superman, pay the fees that you need to to get a solicitor, uh, independent financial advisor on board as well. But also at the time, you have to pay for these fees for taking up the solicitor's time. Yeah. So you can be spending well over a thousand pound just on solicitor fees, plus the deposit that you need to pay and not forgetting stamp duty. Yeah. And stamp duty is, yeah, let me keep my comments for myself, but stamp duty can be a lot. Especially on the uh, the depending on the price of the property, so I think if the price if the property price is under two hundred and fifty thousand, you're paying two percent stamp duty. Yeah. And if you're paying over two hundred and fifty thousand, it's five percent stamp duty. It also so, varies if, if you're a first time buyer and also you're buying to buy this additional. Yeah. So yeah. So if you're a first time buyer, that's two and five percent. If it's your second property, it's different. And many you've probably heard if you're doing a um, first time buyer, think was it. Phil Hammond that he scrapped the stamp duty for first time buyers for up to a certain amount of a property um, and that was done in I think October 2017 or November 2017 I think I think to sh I think Shaw said something uh, quite nicely earlier he said numbers are numbers so with all of these with all of these costs it's not to I don't want to put people off actually I want to I want I want this actually episode to have people interested more and look to buy property so in the end um, 
these are costs associated with transaction and buying a property. Yeah. But then it's also, and they can actually be, perhaps be quite daunting if, you, if you're a first-time buyer. But then think about perhaps once it's, once it's, it's through, you've exchanged contracts, what you can then be looking to benefit from moving forward. So just to summarize, I would say the deposit for the property, you probably yeah. have to pay the lender themselves um, an arrangement fee for actually preparing um, um, the documents and the loan for you. The solicitor fees, yeah, it can range anywhere between 750 and 1,000, 1,100. Um, and within, within the solicitor's breakdown of fees, they will show you what it is that you're actually paying for. Stamp duty fees, and that's probably what is required for transacting. And then, also, and then there'll be some costs relating to getting the property up to a particular standard, even if you're living there yourself or actually looking to let it out. Yeah. Also, and then the last thing, just P, because this is one thing that people don't always think about as well when it comes to that true cost. I always say, try and have three months worth of whatever your mortgage payments are, like your monthly payments are. Because I think what happens is a lot of people take into consideration all those true costs, the cost upfront, and then they look at the bank account after they've signed and completed everything. And it's really low because you've obviously made all these expenses, but they don't take into consideration. Oh yeah, I've got to now pay, obviously pay my mortgage, whatever the interest or the repayment amount that you have. So just for me as a safety barrier, I always try to have at least three months worth of that um, repayment, deposit, um, repayment um, mortgage interest or repayment, um, just to ensure that I'm comfortable when I start and I move into that property day one. One thing you need to be aware of, even when you're getting your mortgage, is knowing the mortgage interest rate. Yes. Uh, which we didn't touch upon in great. De- uh, we didn't touch upon. Let's but, quickly touch on it now, quickly. But, but but you know, obviously, a higher deposit will mean you take out a less less lesser mortgage amount. So if you increase your mortgage, um, your own personal contribution to the deposit, you can get a cheaper mortgage. But also, there's something known as a fixed rate mortgage, and also a variable mortgage. So you can have a two-year fixed um, rate mortgage or a five-year fixed rate. Of course, five-year fixed rate is going to be a higher percentage on interest, a two-year lower interest. You can also have a variable one that moves in uh, in line with the market and um, economic conditions. So that's one thing you need to be aware of is how much you want to be spending or paying for your property every month, given the fact that you have additional costs involved once you've bought a property such as maybe build, building contents insurance, you need like life insurance because of course the bank will need to have protection should you um, uh, not um, finish paying off your mortgage um, should you become deceased and also knowing how much uh, your council tax is going to be because that's something people don't necessarily take into consideration uh, that council tax can also be very expensive. Okay, no, sure. Sure. So before we do the wrap up, a couple of other conversation topics that we just wanted to quickly drop. So one thing uh, to be conscious of is when you're getting a mortgage, most mortgages, they come under two criteria. One is interest only and another one is capital repayment. Now to describe this very simply, if you imagine you get a mortgage of 100k, if the interest rate is say 2%, during the course of your, your period of the mortgage, so if it's 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, you would just every month pay just the interest on the amount of mortgage that you're borrowing. So then during the course of that time, you would just be paying the interest every month. Then at the end of the term, whatever you agree, then you'll pay back the full amount. Now, I 
most of the time when you're investing in property, you go with the interest only option because you're trying to increase your monthly cash inflows every month. Then the other option, which is the capital repayment, this is where you pay back every month interest and your initial 100K in this example every month back, which means you're paying a higher amount every month. Uh, but then at the end of the 10, 15, 25 year time, whatever you've agreed, that property is already yours and you don't have to pay anything off at the end to own it because you've paid it off every month during the process. Another topic actually that I think we, we failed to touch upon is we talked about buy to let. There's also other options in terms of properties. There's also HMO. Pete, do you want to talk a little bit about HMO? HMO effectively stands for House of Multiple Occupancy. And it's a strategy that is used for property investors that are looking to buy properties, um, refurbish the property, bring it up to a HMO standard, hold the property usually for uh, quite some time for the long term. And it effectively means taking, say, your standard four bed, five bed house and using, trying to find as many rooms as possible to let out. So you may convert the sitting room into a bedroom. Then you convert the bedrooms and you leave the bedrooms as is and you may convert even a dining room to a bedroom. So you take a usual three bed house and turn it into a five bed HMO. And those, as you can imagine, the, the big benefit there is that you actually get a high uh, monthly cash flow because to Shua's point, you're usually taking an interest only mortgage. So you have a very small uh, mortgage each month with a high uh, rental um, income. And just and to the, add... Sorry, and the, the only drawback is is if you keep if you think about it, you're having to effectively uh, manage or the agents managing it for you quite maybe a high turnover of tenants um, because they usually they usually stay on average between eight months to just under probably eighteen I think it's six months. To, I think it's six to eighteen. Yeah, six to eighteen. Yeah. So probably typically university students then. Yeah, could be that could be part of your strategy, or you could be working for profes uh, working professionals, but. Certainly university students is a good avenue to go down because universities will be here for the uh, long-term foreseeable future. And then there's just some other quick uh, uh, options also with regards to property is there's also rent to rent. So this is where, for example, um, if you don't have the money to actually buy a property outright, what you can do to try and accumulate the cash before you buy a place for yourself is you can go to a landlord and maybe someone who... Uh, is looking to try and rent their place out but doesn't want the extra hassle of dealing with tenants and you can tell them okay I will take your property off the market I know that it's marketed for £600 a month but in that property you see that there's an opportunity to run it as a HMO so you're basically subletting the place you take that off the, the landlord to say okay I'll give you your £600 a month but then you can rent out individual rooms within that property and then you can make potentially say 1200 in this example by renting the rooms out individually you give the landlord the 600 pound that you agreed to pay him and the rest of the profit you basically manage and keep yourself so that's basically where you're renting to rent out and the rent to rent strategy is a great strategy for those who are in a position now that are looking to build up their um, cash in order to actually buy their own property so what i like about the rent to rent strategy it puts us in a situation where there are no excuses to get onto the property ladder or to become a property investor um there's if you if, you're, if you research enough there are many different ways so rent to rent is one the other one, the other strategy could be uh, sourcing properties for other investors. So if you if you're look, if you understand how to find a property with a large discount on paper, you can then offer that property to an investor who has the money. And in return, they'll give you depending depend on, on the price, but anywhere between three to five thousand pounds for doing that. So if you get if you if that's a skill set that you build up again, it's another um, um, form of cash flow. And then the last one also for 
um, for those that perhaps don't have the, the money to put down on the property now, which is something to pay attention to, is lease options. So lease options effectively where you can approach um, a homeowner uh, uh, and say to them, I'm interested in buying uh, your property in the next... You basically, you fix an agreement that says, I will be interested in to buy your property in five years from now, because based on your research, you, you believe it will go up by a significant value. In that time, you basically take over not the ownership, but the management of that property. So you can let it out. So you're effectively letting out a property or manage getting money from a property that you don't actually own. Mm -hmm. And I think lease options is certainly a very powerful way. Um, it's becoming a more prominent strategy um, in 2018-19. I think you'll, you'll hear a lot more about lease strategies moving forward. Mm -hmm. And another thing we didn't mention was about leasehold and freehold. Mm -hmm. sure. so, lease, so the method of owning a property for a fixed term, but then at the end of the term, when the lease expires, the ownership goes back to the freeholder, as opposed to the freehold, you outright own the property and which uh, and on which it stands. Mm -hmm. And probably the, the final thing that I had on, on my list is tax. So tax is a very important thing. I think we talked about stamp duty, which in itself is a tax. Um, but now the, the government in the UK, they've changed the laws where um, some of the expenses that you could claim before to lower your tax bill from a personal name basis, they're now moving away from. So I think this in the industry, you're seeing more and more people create a company structure where you're getting mortgages through a company, you're buying properties through a company, and you're also managing them through a company as well. And this has certain tax benefits. You can expense things because you're running essentially a business. So the same way that you would expense... Um, I guess your your travel costs, um, training costs, etc. You can do the same same thing through a company structure in with the objective to invest in property. So again, I think we mentioned multiple times on this podcast, none of us are financial experts. I would recommend to speak to an expert, to so speak to a good accountant, speak to a good tax specialist, speak to a good mortgage broker, speak to all the right experts, because one essential thing is having the right team in place. I think we all try to do everything ourselves, but something that all of us have probably realized at different phases, if you go to the experts at the right time, then it may cost you a little bit of money now, but in the long term, it can save you hell so have the right team in place, know the right contacts, and then once you have that, the machine is rolling and it makes your life a lot easier and you can save a lot of money in the long term as well. Yes, I think we've gone through and we'll summarize it at the end, sort of the different steps, but because it's a little daunting, why don't we talk about some of the rewards for purchasing a property? Because I think we've talked about how, like the process, some of the costs, but why don't we talk about maybe something someone wants to share their yeah, experience so, in terms of reward? No, I like, I like that. I like that. Um, so effectively... I'm I'm in I'm into the property game and space uh, for the passive income. So passive income is effectively most people know it's where you um, don't have to work for the income that's coming in versus the active income. So it's it's buying properties to let out to um, tenants. It could be either the whole house or letting out separate rooms, and then being able to do that to build up a nice um, monthly cash flow. So that's really the benefit and something which um, over time. What I like about there's a saying I think it said. Uh, property is not get rich quick, but it's get rich slow for sure. Mm. So it's it's thinking very long term, and and the process. I think also the process of just bu building um, and building a portfolio, which is actually quite exciting. Exactly, and like uh, you mentioned it perfectly, um, P. I think for my first property, um, yes, I think we mentioned sort of the challenges and sort of the stuff that you have to take into consideration. But since I've had that property now for, for a few years, 
I was able to do a revaluation and I was able to see that based on the increase, the capital increase of that property had gone up by close to 100K. So mm. automatically, now you have more leverage because you yep. have that asset. Mm. So I was able to then go into that property, go into the bank and say, hey, I've got this asset that's gone up by 100K. I want to take out 40K, 50K to then be able to purchase another property or use on another investment. By mm-hmm. you, yes, it's, it's hard work at the beginning. No no one's hiding that fact. Uh, fact. But when you go through that process, there's, there's a lot of, obviously there's risk, but there's also potential, um, there's also reward. It's also, it's also very difficult, almost, I would even say impossible to lose in property over a 20, 25 year period. There's a reason why um, it's the most common asset class amongst the super wealthy, super rich. So that's something which, um, when you talk about benefits, um, and also we haven't got into it, but being smart with regards to the tax structure, how you can basically feed your family into it, uh, being direct to shareholders. So there is there is a number of benefits which, um, um, and it's, again, I go back to the point of when you, if you're a British national, you're coming from the UK, you definitely want to be in this space. Yeah, mm. for sure. 100%. For sure. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so thank you for listening. As you've heard, we spoke about how you could fund or purchase a property going through saving the traditional route of 10 to 15% of the deposit for a property or going through some of the government schemes, which are shared ownership, help to buy ISA or um, equity loan. We spoke through the process of from buying or identifying a property to the completion of a property and associated costs and knowing your numbers. And lastly, we spoke about the benefits of buying a property as well as buying to let a property. Disclaimer, again, these all these views are our own. None of us are qualified financial advisors. Should you need any information, please use the World Wide Web. Please find an independent <laughs> financial advisor to guide you, speak to your bank, speak to someone who's got professional sound advice to give you the knowledge and information you need. And also don't be afraid to ask different qualified people because many of them may want you to shoot you to choose them as a mortgage lender. And if you're renting or looking to buy a property, there's no harm in renting to find out if that, that area suits you. Mm-hmm. And then you can look to buy it in that area. Sound like so. a part two. Anyways, interesting. <laughs> Freedom. And now the bit that we've all been waiting for, Pabilo Timbo, aka the young Denzel with his shaved head. We're, we're <laughs> ready for this book review, bro. Yeah, so today's book review is, um, I don't know if any of you guys have read it, it's High Performing Habits by Brendan Bouchard. No, no one's no one's no no haven't read it Great but book. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna quick side note um for any of our instagram listeners pabilo will kindly give you a copy of this book if you tag us in your instagram stories go ahead it's kind of expensive you know <laughs> financial oh, good um no 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 so it's, it's it's basically the book is the book there's another book actually it was seven effective seven highly effective habits. habits yeah exactly. that one i've read so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. for me i actually see this book as, as an evolution from that and i think it's, it's really well written really mm. well structured and what I'll do is I'll just basically share with you the six the six uh, chapters or habits mm. and then speak a little bit about each one and what the key message was for me. Okay. So habit one was uh, seek, seek clarity. The second one was generate energy. Third one was raise necessity. Fourth one was increase productivity. Fifth one was develop influence. And the sixth one was demonstrate courage. Mm. So if I take the first one, it was just basically talking about how high-performing um, athletes or, or people 
are extremely clear as, as to what it is that they want to be in the near future mm. and, and how they see themselves treating other people. And the one, that I, the one thing that I took away was they're very clear on how they want to feel in the, in, in the, in the, um, in the future. So I, I tended, before reading this book, I was always focusing on what I actually want to have, what I actually want to achieve. But this helped me understand, focus more on what are the feelings that I actually want to um, embody. Uh, so I thought that was actually quite, uh, quite powerful. It also it also speaks about how highly performed highly performed um, people are very clear on the skills they need to develop in order to be that person. Mm. So very good, very good. I think opening opening uh, chapter there. The second one was on energy, and uh, Shuo knows this very well, but perhaps can speak on it. Which is effectively we need to go from stop managing our time, but to managing our energy. Mm. And that's something which I continue to struggle with, um, but I know it actually. Is ultimately the difference. So I don't know, sure if you maybe want to speak on your experiences on on managing energy versus time. Yeah, I think um, so. For example, if you if you know that you have peak performance moments in a, in a day, so say you have a big presentation or um, you have a social gathering, for example, where you're meeting lots of friends, or even if you're going to a networking event. In terms of managing your time versus energy, so you know in those particular periods of that day of the week, you need to be in a high energy state because you're meeting people, you're engaging with people, or you have to present something to a large audience. So managing your energy for that, maybe two or three hours before that event, you try to ensure that you're doing activities which are relaxing your mind, you're preparing for the event, um, maybe you're doing some exercise to take your mind off things completely to ensure that when you get to that period when you know you have that peak performance required you ensure that you deliver to your expected outcome and I think this is important because otherwise people can get stuck especially in the corporate life having back-to-back -back meetings one after the other and you're not really managing your energy you're just managing your time and trying to be efficient mm -hmm. but ultimately it doesn't lead to the desired outcome so so yeah no so that's a great point Pete yeah this this one here was a really big one for me and it's the first time i've come across this concept which was brendan mentions it says release it's called release set and intention so a lot of times if you think about throughout our day we have transition points but we don't actually perhaps use them and leverage them for what they are so let's say for example you've got a meeting at from nine till ten and you've got another you've got a back-to-back -back, one straight after and the meeting at nine to ten was challenging it was really tough and it, it left you quite frustrated you tend to take that energy straight into the next meeting. Mm -hmm. Whereas what he recommends one does is actually you you set your intention for the next meeting and then you release. So it's it's being very mindful as, as to what you want to achieve going into your next uh, transitional phase for that particular day. So I thought I thought that's something which um, it definitely works uh, because it's, it's, it's forcing you to be more mindful as to what you're moving into next. Um, and energy, a lot of the things when it comes to energy is just really... Um, practicing more positive emotions. <clears throat> what are the mental triggers to, to put you in a more positive um, state? Mm -hmm. The third the third chapter is on raising your necessity. The one thing that stuck out for me was he says, try to tell yourself when you're in, let's say you're in a spot of bother or you're in a situation where you're perhaps losing motivation as to what you want to do. You have to ask yourself, who needs my A game right now? Right. So it's almost making the, your 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 work bigger than yourself. Mm. And if you if you tend to do let's it could be your wife, it could be your kids. But that's something which I think is a is a great driver to continue pushing through uh, what it is that you're doing. Is that kind of like prioritizing? No, no, no. It's actually saying to yourself, let's say, for example, you're you're I don't know, you're not you're not being the best version you can be of yourself, whatever mm. it may be in, in a particular yeah. hustle or endeavor. 
and it's basically a prompt to say who needs my A game right now. Okay. So, so why should I be on point right now? Because I'm ah, serving okay, my okay. wife and my kids and my So family. it's like you being in the office and you saying, okay, let me act a certain way because someone could be looking and needs to see me at my best because that might motivate them. Or is that... Yeah. That could be one. Yeah. But it's almost like saying, what's your, what's your why? Because it's definitely bigger than yourself. Everything okay. you do is... Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like telling yourself, I need to be on my A game right now because of X person or because of Y. Because of, sure, cause, because of the students that you're mentoring. Right, mm-hmm. so this is kind of why you you want to keep pushing yourself. Okay. That's why married like married people put their family on their desk, as in that would be like okay, the reason I'm here. I guess so. Yeah, I guess because... so. That, I I haven't I haven't done that. Daniel, have you done it? No, I haven't done that. But it's funny, <laughs> it's funny, no, no, it's funny because I was talking to um a friend yesterday, and he was saying that there's a woman in his company who has a picture of her husband and her two kids. Mm. So anytime for any appraisal, people know she's here for them. Yeah. So she went ramp when it comes to appraisal. She's like, I'm here and I want my money. I'm getting the money for the family. Basically like that. But no, I don't have any personal photos um, at my desk apart from someone called Sylvia. But yeah. So what I, got are we, what, what? I got I got I got I got a picture of you guys on my desk still. <laughs> that's that's oh, kind of that's kind of creepy. I love my <laughs> podcast, baby. Yes, All right, Pete, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and then and then one of the other points on on raise your necessity, he spoke about, um, and it's interesting to get your take on it. Develop obsession. So a lot of the, a lot of the high performers that we know of, they're they're very much obsessed with what it is that they do, right? Yeah. And it effectively means it's another way of looking at master, master, being, being a master of your craft, right? And uh, the average person around us would say, you're crazy, right? When actually he would say obsession is a badge of honor. Mm. So it's, it's, and we should ask ourselves, are we obsessed enough with what it is that we're actually trying to work on uh, right now and over the next, um, next five to 10 years? So I think that's, that's, that's a big one. I love that obsession line because... When I and I think it's great when you mirror it with certain athletes and when you watch certain like athletes come up and what they've had to do, and yeah, they've yeah. said, you know what, um, either a footballer or a basketball player, they'll be like, I was completely obsessed with my craft, like I would yeah. like Kobe, Kobe sort of mentality. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'll be the first person in the gym, last, last person to leave. And I feel like if you want to be successful at anything, you need to be obsessed with it. You need 100%. to put that time into it. You need to go to sleep dreaming about it. Wake up thinking about it. You know, what you got to say, Daniel? I know you got something to no, say. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm smiling because when you said that first one and last one out, I just thought about uni in the library. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah you, no, it's true. You put, he's complimenting you. He's not okay. taking shots. Okay, good. You better be. You better be. I might, no, not, I might not be the first one in. I'm not going to lie. I was no, never the first no, one no, in. No, no, no. I'm not saying the But I was I always... I've seen people that were first, like, come in early, leave late, but they were very unproductive. But oh. yeah, that's the point. <laughs> sorry, Oli, sorry. I thought we was trying to help you out there. Come on. Um, when, when, does, when does Daniel ever help me out? <laughs> when is I wasn't referring to you, man. I wasn't referring to you. I was just thinking, generally, generally speaking. Okay. Yes, you have to be productive whilst you're also in and Yes. On on um, on habit number five, it's increase your productivity. Um, and then just the key things for me that stuck out was one that we've already spoken about: multitasking does not work. There's actually a really cool exercise that people can do if they think multitasking works. Um, if you want to know more about that, comment for this episode. But the other one was um, this is interesting. It says you always so so people talk a lot about balanced life. Um, I'm trying to get the right work life balance, and it says it's wrong. 
it's wrong to mention it's wrong to to see balanced lifestyle in terms of the number number of hours that you put in into whatever you're doing and it is it's effectively leading to is brenda there's a nice way of saying you always feel um out of balance if what you're doing is not meaningful so if if it lacks purpose if it doesn't drive you it doesn't necessarily how you try to balance your day it will always feel unbalanced so i thought that was actually something which was quite uh, resonated quite well and in essence, he's basically saying, you know, find that work which is meaningful and has purpose to you. And the very last one uh, is develop influence. And so the thing that stuck out for me was he said, high performers, high performers in every situation, they go into it looking, looking to see how they can help other people. Um, and then looking to see how they can challenge other people to grow. So great book, really, really good book, because I think it's the evolution to uh, seven effective highly habits. And one thing that I like about the book as well, it's it's very ni nicely structured, but it has these performance prompts. So it has these questions which you can ask yourself as you're reading, which you can actually do on a daily basis. Um, I don't know if I can maybe get a few examples here, but I think this is actually what makes it... Uh, one second. Like, hang on. This is a performance prompt when it comes to generating energy. So the things that cause me the most amount of tension each day are, and you'd write them down. A way I could remind myself to release the tension throughout the day is, if I felt more energy each day, I would be more likely to. When I reset my energy each day with this practice, I like to start the next activity feeling something. So, and I know, sure, you're big on, you're big on uh, these sort of questions before you go to yeah. bed. But these are, this is, it's a really, really, really good book. So I highly recommend it. And Daniel, what was it? If somebody... If somebody, no, sure, you say if somebody comments or something, I'll get them the book. Yeah, basically, so um, if anyone, while listening to the podcast, if you post about our Take Flight podcasts and tag us in the stories, then we'll select one winner who will get the book of the week delivered to your address. I'll be happily, uh, it'll be a pleasure to share, send that to somebody. Pleasure. Repeat, repeat the name of the book and the author again. Yes, it's uh, Higher Performing Habits, High Performance Habits by Brendan Pichard. Dope. If you have any feedback for us, please DM us, comment on one of our posts on Instagram on Take Flight Podcast. Or if you're not on Instagram, feel free to email us at takeflightpodcast at gmail.com. Still waiting for that first inbox from one of our listeners, by the way. P.S. Everything's coming through Instagram. Okay. But yeah. Thank you. Cool. Dope. And that's the wrap. Take off. Take off.